Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Today, we're going to talk about understanding vet costs. We all know that vets can be very expensive. How do we work with it? How do we make sure our animals get the proper health care? We're going to help you figure out what works for you in your situation so you can make the best choices. So, Miranda, we have lots of vet costs. With you being an animal health technologist, you have firsthand experience of what it's like to work within a vet environment and also how the whole veterinary system works. So I guess just start us off. Well, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot of people complain about is how expensive the vet is. There's this general feeling like they're getting taken for a ride and being charged way more than what they should be charged. And the vets must be making a huge profit on what they're charging and stuff like that. I think people don't really understand and realize what all goes into that cost. Now, that's not to say that there may be vets out there who could be focused more on profit than on the animal care. That's a possibility. Yeah, I think that's a good possibility. (laughs) You look at our human doctors, there's many human doctors out there that just charge ridiculous fees just because they think they can. Because money and ego kind of go hand in hand. If a Mm -hmm. vet is not doing their job out of the goodness of their heart, they may be doing it because, oh, they can make a pretty penny. Mm Mm-hmm basically will require all of you to do your own research. And we'll go into what what to look into in a little bit here. But I just want to go over some of the things that are included in the veterinary cost. And before I do that, one thing I want to mention is that one of the reasons you may feel that you are paying so much money is because Many of us have health insurance to cover our own medical costs, so we're not paying directly out of pocket. That may feel to us like we're not paying as much for our own personal health care and kind of skew how we are viewing it. That makes sense. Some of the things that could be included in the costs are things like paying for the staff. The more staff there is in a clinic, the more wages or salaries there is going to be required. Mm -hmm. And it's also dependent on the level of expertise. There could be animal health techs or vet techs that can be more or less experienced. And those who have been there for longer and have more experience are likely going to be getting paid more. Yeah. And also some veterinary clinics actually have specialists in-house. Right. They already costs a little bit more money. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing too. And then there's the equipment. There are vet clinics, hospitals that may have the the basic equipment needed. And as long as it's still in decent working condition, they might just keep that. 
then there are the other clinics and hospitals that will want to, to keep their equipment well-maintained and up-to-date as much as possible. If they do specialize in any specific areas, well, then there's going to be specialty equipment as well. There's a lot of clinics who do not do the lab work in-house and they send it out to another company. But even if that's the case, you're still paying for the shipping and processing and everything else that occurs if it's being sent out. And you have to consider the medicines and supplies that are needed. If you want to be able to have access to the different types of medications that is going to help with treatment for your animal, then there's going to be that cost for the clinic and the hospital to bring that in as well as they're going to need things like stethoscopes and rubber gloves and needles and all of these different types of supplies that are used on a fairly regular basis when working with your animals and and surgeries. And then, of course, there is office supplies. I don't know of any clinics or hospitals who does not have a front desk area. So you've got the people who are working there and the paper and the internet and all of those kind of costs that go into running the office area. Yeah. And that can be pretty expensive. (laughs) They have to have the answering service, really good internet. A lot of things are online now, you Mm -hmm. know, they're using subscription services. So you got to pay every month to just do your regular client follow-up because it's all going to a hub that they got to pay monthly for. Mm-hmm. It's not all in-house. They don't have a big giant server in the back of their office. And if they do, then that costs money too. <laughs> but right. Most veterinary clinics, they're, they're pretty small unless it's an emergency, correct? Yeah. Unless they've got multiple vets that are working in the same facility, then it could also be larger for that reason as well. It all adds up. If you haven't noticed... Things seem to be getting more complicated, not simpler. Yes. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) And so there always seems to be added costs to to deal with all of these little intricacies and added complications that come with running a business. Yeah. That's the other thing to consider, too, is like it or not, the vet industry is a business. Oh, it is. Yeah. So it's going to be run like any other business. You have to keep that in mind as well. Then there also is the overhead costs. The clinics, the hospitals are going to need to pay the the lease or the rent on the building that they are in. And depending on the size and how modern it is, and that is going to affect how much that cost is going to be, plus all the maintenance and that to, to keep the building running properly and functional. Yeah. And business insurance too. You got property taxes. Even if you lease, you still got to pay taxes. There's a lot. If you have a facility, whether you own it or you rent it or lease it, there's an awful lot. And you have to, when you are in a business like that, you have to have liability insurance. Oh, for sure. So that could be really expensive. Mm -hmm. And then there is the training and education. I would imagine that all of you would want the vets and the techs and any other staff that are there to be current on the various treatments and understanding 
illnesses and understanding the body and all of this kind of thing. So that when you bring your animal in, they're going to have the most knowledge that they possibly could on helping your animal. I know I want my vet and all of its staff to be up on, on all the modern stuff. I, I want them to be knowledgeable because we use Dr. Google a lot. And some of those things may not be mainstream. Some of those things may be crap too. But if you go to your veterinarian, you want to be able to talk to them about all of the new things that we see and what they think about it. So you want them to be educated to make sure that their clinic is technologically advanced, informationally advanced, if that's a thing. I don't know. But you want them to have all the information. You don't want them to go, well, I don't know. I've never heard of that. You don't want that from your your vet or your doctor. I mean, we, when we go to our human doctors, we don't want our doctors to scratch their head when you bring something up to them. You want them Mm -hmm. to be knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. The same thing goes with veterinary clinics. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up Dr. Google because that's another thing that I see a lot of that people don't want to pay to take their animal to a vet to find out what is going on. So they go to these different forums and pet groups and Dr. Google in general (laughs) to (laughs) say, what's going on with my animal? How should I treat them? This is the worst thing you can do. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you feel like you're saving money and I know you feel like, oh, well, somebody out there must be dealing with something similar and they can tell me what to do and I can just pay for the treatment and not have to pay for a vet visit and all that kind of thing. (sighs) But (laughs) (laughs) I know that exhaustive, like, (sighs) (laughs) yeah. Every animal is different. And even if you do find somebody who may have had the same situation as you, which there's no guarantee that what they dealt with is exactly the same thing as what you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. because they can't diagnose. But assuming that it is the same thing, whatever they use to treat their animal could end up making your animal really sick because animals respond differently to different medications. It could have an allergy. The dosage could be wrong. They might have something else going on with their body that could cause some kind of an adverse reaction of some sort. There are so many risks and you could end up actually losing your animal. Yeah. If you you don't want to do that. You don't want to, you don't want to lose your animal. And I have to say, I am guilty of using Dr. Google, but I'm a huge advocate for going to a vet. I have found a way to balance. I will never use Dr. Google as my be-all and end-all of how I'm going to handle my animal. I use it as a research tool to figure out all the information I need to know about a particular medical issue that I think my animal has. And then I make the appointment to go to the vet. I mean, we have to go to the experts. If you're going to use Dr. Google, use it as a research tool, not a diagnostic tool. Right. Always go to your vet for diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And some of you might be saying, but I go to the websites that are written up by vets and or pet experts of some sort. But even those that are written by that, the information they're giving is generalized. It is not specific for your animal. 
So it can give you an idea and it's great to kind of get that information for yourself to get some kind of understanding because that gives you the opportunity to ask educated questions when you see your vet rather than just taking what they say without question, you at least have some idea and you can really get more detailed guidance because you already have some of that background understanding. Yeah. I think that's the important word is understanding. We Mm -hmm. need to understand the animal and we need to understand what they're doing, but we cannot be our own vets and Mm -hmm. diagnostic doctors. We have to let the experts do their job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get on a soapbox. I'm going to try to keep it a small one, but you have (laughs) to go to your vet. I know it's scary. I know it's expensive. We're going to get into some more about how to make sure you got the right vet. But seriously, people, the vet should be the number one person in your, your animal's wellness team. I've said it many times before, you have to have a wellness team. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm getting down. <laughs> <laughs> and adding to that, another thing that people don't understand is when they get a prescription for their animal and when the prescription runs out, they find it confusing why they have to go to the vet again to get it renewed. The reason for that is because things with your animal could have changed. Yes. And whatever dosage was being given before may not still be the appropriate dosage. It may be too much or it may not be enough. And so the dosage may have to be adjusted. And even with that, if the results are not appropriate, maybe the vet will find that that particular type of medication is not the appropriate one and they need to change to a different one. Yeah. And they can only do that by doing tests. Right. To see where the animal is at. It's not a blanket. Everybody gets this particular dosage and this particular medicine for this particular issue. Mm-hmm. It's always different. Like some of us are allergic to sulfur drugs and some of us are allergic to this drug and some of us are allergic to that drug. Some of the, some of us don't react to this drug. Some of us react too much. It's the same with animals. People don't realize that physiologically, yes, we may be different, but we're still mammals and we still have the same basic processes that our body goes through. Mm-hmm. You have to monitor your blood. Mm-hmm. The last thing that I'm going to mention as one of the things that could be included in the costs that are being presented to you is treatments and techniques are continually advancing. So that kind of goes into the ongoing training and education because the vets and the techs are able to learn what the the newest treatments and techniques are and whether or not they're going to be better and more effective than the ones that currently existed. And then sometimes there might be a diagnostic machine that is needed to follow the advancement of the treatment. And those machines are like thousands and thousands of dollars. Most small businesses can't just go and buy that right out. They have to lease it or they have to make payments on it. And Mm -hmm. if you want your vet to be innovative, that's part of the process. Everything is changing. Everything's going to get better and better. And I know it's hard to imagine, but the actual science of veterinary care is pretty young. So there's going to be leaps and bounds on how we approach certain issues and diseases and illnesses 
that may seem a little bit different because our human medical history is much more long, I guess. Uh, the history <laughs> is longer. Right. Yes. <laughs> God, I, if I'm going to have another problem with finding my words, this is going to be crazy. But yeah, <laughs> but our human medical industry has been around a lot longer than veterinary history. Mm -hmm. I, I think it really only goes back to like, I don't know, I think the advancements really started in the 70s and the 80s. You know, there was little things, yeah. but probably mostly when people started changing how they viewed animals instead of them just being cats that were the mice control or dogs were the sheep dogs and that then once they actually started being viewed as pets and wanting to have them in the home and actually having a relationship with them i think that's when things started to shift but i don't think we treated them medically right yeah. until our knowledge became more available to us on how these animals actually live. Mm -hmm. Before it was just something that's going to be a part of the family, but it doesn't need a doctor. And if it dies, it dies and whatever. Mm -hmm. There are some people that love having the animals as family members more than actual family members. Yeah, so that's our, for sure. I think, <laughs> I know. So I think our mental perception changed on how we see these animals. And that's when veterinary care really jumped off. Right. It's a really young science. Right. I don't know how many people think this, but the veterinary industry is not regulated. So there is no requirement for each practice to run their practice in a certain way. I mean, there is a certain level of it's not really a regulation, but the, the veterinary association does have certain standards in place mm -hmm. that they have to follow. But at the same time, each practice could be different. It could depend on how many staff they have, how many specialty staff they have, what types of services they're offering, because there could be the um, holistic type services like acupuncture, massage, and that type of thing that could be included in the, the clinic. It depends on how much technology they have, um, how modernized they are, and how much overhead they have to pay. We kind of mentioned that based on where they're located. I mean, if they're in a maybe a richer area, then they're going to be paying more than one that is maybe in a small town. Yes, definitely. It's a very complicated web. <laughs> That's for sure. And there can be other considerations as well that... Um, could cause the variance in what different clinics are charging. Each veterinarian sets their fees for their services based on different criteria. So it could be the types of drugs that they use, the anesthetics that they have, the antibiotics, their medical techniques and products. These could all have a bearing on the cost of the services. Now, another thing that could be creating an issue for you is you get an estimate from your vet on a treatment that is needed, whether it's a surgery or whether it's diagnostic tests, and they'll tell you that it's a certain amount or that they're estimating a certain amount. And then when it comes to the end, you end up paying more than what you were estimated. And again, this may feel like the vets are gouging and just trying to get your money. What is actually happening is that the vet is not able to fully predict what all tests may be needed or what 
all treatment might be needed or what procedures might be needed in the surgery. They're making their best guess based on what they can currently see. Once they actually start getting into it and starts getting a better idea of what's going on, then they might be seeing that, okay, we need to do this test now to find out more about this. There's a lot of times in surgeries where something is discovered that wasn't known and it's like, oh, well, we need to, we need to deal with this while they're under anesthetic, but we didn't know it was there beforehand. Yeah. You know, that happened with my mom's dog recently. She went in, she's a Cocker Spaniel mix and Cocker Spaniels are known for getting these lumps on their bodies. They're benign, but they tend to keep growing. So she went in for surgery to get a bunch of these lumps removed. And when she was under surgery, they ended up finding out she had two lumps on her tongue. Oh. So they wanted to remove that because that they didn't know if they were benign or not. They thought they probably were, but they wanted to make sure. Yeah, you don't mess with stuff when it's in the mouth. Right. So it was an unexpected thing that was not known about. You can never know for sure what all is going to be needed to be done. So you can't really blame the vet for having to do these extra things. Now, they should be communicating with you. They shouldn't just go and do it and then like, oh, well, by the way, we did this, 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 and this, and this. They should be contacting you as as soon as they can and say, oh, it's kind of hard to do that if it's in the middle of the surgery. Yeah, but- I was just thinking that. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Do I want them to stop what they're doing to give me a call? No, but what my vet has done is they... They let me know, and this is a good sign of a good vet. They let me know what could potentially happen. And before they even start thing, they go, how do you want us to handle this? If something shows up, your animals has this particular issue, but I have seen in my experience, they could also have this. How do you want us to work? If they are very open and honest with you before they start the procedure and let you know that this is just an estimate. We don't know what's going to happen until we get in there. Then at least you're not surprised by it. Mm-hmm. My vet has done that. And yeah, some of it's been expensive, but I'm just very happy and grateful that they're open and honest and transparent and they don't just do things. I know there's surprises or unexpectations, but unexpectations. Yeah. Okay. There's. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, there's yeah, but they do tend to have that open communication. And I think that's a really great sign. So if your vet is going to do that with you, then, you know, you can trust your vet. This is also where it's a really good idea to be establishing a relationship with your vet. When you have that relationship, you get a much better idea of what kind of person they are. And whether they are actually wanting to help your animal and if that's their main goal. Yeah. And it's very obvious because you can tell if somebody's all about the money or they're all about saving your pet. Mm -hmm. Most often, if you are very in tune and have a partnership with your vet, you are going to know right away whether they're on the up and up. Mm-hmm. You're just going to know. And that's why I'm going to stress again, make sure that you have a trusted vet in your wellness team. It's really important to choose the right vet and to make sure that you trust that vet. And that vet also allows you to make decisions. Because if you perchance bring in an animal for another issue and they can say your animal has 
cancer, we're going to do chemo. Well, I have never done chemo on all of my cats that have had cancer. And my vet will never do chemo without my permission. So you have to make sure that you get the final decision. Now, I want to, I guess the best word is (laughs) emphasize the need to put the animal first. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't think that you want to spend $1,000 on your animal for this major surgery and you're just going to let your animal wither away, then what do you do when having an animal? Sorry, soapbox. (laughs) You get to make the final decision. If you're partnering with your vet, then you guys can have an open communication and you can say, this is how my animal's life is right now. If I do this, is it going to make it better or is it going to make it worse? Mm -hmm. And if you put the animal top of mind, then you will know what direction to go as far as their health care. And you have the final say. I think this is the most important part of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything else that you want to add to that? Well, I don't think that any vet can force a pet parent to pay for things that they don't want to pay for. Even if they go ahead and do something that you never agreed to, like let's say that you never agreed to giving any treatment to your animal and they went ahead and gave them some kind of a treatment without your knowledge and then said, oh, you have to pay for this. I think you have every right to refuse to pay for it because you did not agree to that. However, if you agreed to treatment and then something else needed to be done. Well, that's a little bit of a different story. Yeah, definitely. There really does need to be that communication. So really establish ahead of time what kind of communication there is between you and your vet. If you can't have open communication with your vet, that's a good time to look for another place to go. We've said this before in another episode as well, uh, what to look for in a vet, but don't go to a vet just based on how close they are to you, how convenient they are. That is yeah, no. <laughs> that is probably the least important factor out of everything. Absolutely. I drive 45 minutes to get to my vet every single time. They're two counties away. <laughs> but I go to them because I trust them. I have a, a vet clinic that's literally a mile from my house. I don't go there because I don't know them. I don't know if I can trust them. I know I can trust mine. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So, But always make sure that when you make a decision to not do a treatment or to not take care of an issue, that you are putting your animal first, not your pocketbook. This is really important stuff. And I don't mean to keep repeating that over and over again, but both Miranda and I feel that having a veterinarian is essential. It's not a choice. If you choose to have an animal that comes with the mandatory choice of having a vet, let's just go with that. So we are going to go into a little bit more about other things that might come up and other things that you may need a vet for. Take it away. (laughs) There's a lot of you out there who are very kind hearted and you see an animal in need and it might not be your own animal it could be a stray animal or an abandoned like abandoned animal or you see somebody else's animal that might be in desperate need of some care 
you have this strong desire to want to help them and do something for them. So you take it on yourself to take the animal to the vet and get the care they needed. But if you don't have the ability to pay for the expenses of that, then that's where you're going to get into trouble because it's unreasonable to expect the vet to do these different treatments and surgeries and whatnot for free, incurring the costs themselves. Because if they do that for every single person who brings in a stray animal or abandoned animal, they're going to go broke pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they will. Some of these things, they can cost thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And if the vet has to pay for that himself, yeah. I do want to say, bless you if you do this. If you have this type of a heart, we need more people like you. But you have to understand that if you do wish to help, you need to have some type of way of paying for it. Mm -hmm. Whether you partner with a rescue organization, whether you have the money yourself, but you cannot expect the vet to have the same need to help as you because they have overhead costs. Mm -hmm. They just can't do it. They may want to, but they just can't. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if you decide to help an animal like this, it means you're accepting the responsibility for them. Yeah. Like Victoria said, if you don't have the financial means to pay for whatever treatment they might need, then you need to find somebody else who it will be willing to take on that financial need. There are different possibilities out there, like Victoria said as well. There could, there could be the rescue shelters that might be willing to do that if they feel that the animal is going to be adoptable. If they don't feel the animal is adoptable, chances are they're not going to take on the responsibility. There are also nonprofit organizations out there that might be able to, to help. But again, there could be a waiting list on those because people with their own animals or some of them are utilizing those organizations as well. Yeah. You can also talk to your vet and see if there could be another arrangement. You could look to see if you could find another home for the animal. If the treatment is maybe not needed urgently, you might be able to find somebody to give this animal their forever home and provide the the financial means to pay whatever is needed. Yeah. Ultimately, you want to avoid adopting, buying, or taking in any animals that you are not financially going to be able to care for. Oh, yes. Amen. 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 <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of those things that really is a pet peeve of mine. People who have no money and take on a pet and then refuse to bring it to the vet when it needs to be a vet. Don't do that because it's about the animal, not about you. <laughs> ah, it drives me nuts. <laughs> it drives me nuts. If you cannot afford to pay their vet bills, then you cannot afford to have an animal, period. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter how much love you might have for your animal. Love is not going to keep them healthy. No, it is not. Before we move on to the next point, I want to add that if perchance you have this big, huge heart that you want to help, if you see that with a wild animal, that you make sure you bring it to a vet that handles that. Mm -hmm. Because your average vet may not be trained to handle wildlife. You cannot just bring a raccoon or a squirrel or a smaller animal, groundhog or whatever, to 
your regular dog and cat vet. They don't have the training. They don't have the facilities to handle that. And most vets are not able to, to manage that. So most, in most cases, you would be looking for a wildlife rehabilitation center or someplace like that. Yeah. They usually have an associated vet that works with them. Some exotic vets may be able to help. Mm. It would depend, I think, on the, on the clinic itself. Yeah. Because they're an exotic pet clinic, maybe that clinic has the connections already. Mm-hmm. And so they have the facilities to do so or the way to kind of pass it off to a wildlife rehabilitation center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would think the very first thing you would do was check with the wildlife rehab center mm-hmm. somewhere in your area. Yeah. Most likely, even if you can contact a regular vet, I would assume that they would have a connection somewhere so that they would be able to tell you who you need to call. Hopefully. Yeah. I would, I would think that would be something that any vet would have. Mm-hmm. We just want to repeat these couple of things again, because they are just so important. You really need to establish a relationship with the vet clinic you're going to. If you're one of these people who you only take your animal to the vet only if something is seriously wrong and you don't take them any other time, you're not going to have a relationship with your vet and you're not going to know how to work with them or what their communication is like or how they do things and deal with things. You could end up with a a real big surprise and a real big vet bill. <laughs> if you- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, why would you not? Honestly, I can't even understand why people would not have a relationship with the vet and still have an animal. Like that makes no sense to me. I know there's people out there, they have their reasons, but again, I'm just going to emphasize it. You need to have a wellness team. If you have an animal, it's your responsibility to take care of that. Are you going to have a kid and not have a pediatrician? I mean, come on. I I don't get it. But anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting flustered again, but you have to make that connection with the vet clinic. If you are thinking, even thinking about getting a new animal, you have to think at that same moment, where am I going to take it for the vet appointment? That shouldn't even be two different things. It should be the same thing. I'm going to get an animal. Oh, let's choose a vet first. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. they just go hand in hand. Sorry, I'm getting very feisty today. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm so, I'm such a believer in having a veterinary team. And it's an important part, I feel, of just being a responsible pet owner. Mm -hmm. Like we said earlier, Location is really the least important thing to consider. So how do you find the best vet for you and your animal? Well, you need to make an appointment with different clinics and test them out. Just because you go once doesn't mean that you are committed to going to that same place for the rest of your animal's life. (laughs) But when you go to these places... You need to look at different things. You know, what what does a clinic look like? Does it look like it's well-maintained or does it look grungy and dirty? How do the staff treat you when you come in? How are you greeted? Do they treat you like you're somebody important or do they treat you like you're just a number? Do they treat your animal like they're just a number? When you meet with a vet, how do they react to you? Are they open-minded? Are they willing to consider different ideas or are they very rigid in that 
no, there's only this way and that's the only way. And I don't recommend you do anything else. And I don't recommend you do this food and or any of these kind of things. And they're not willing to have a discussion with you. That sounds like a whole bucket full of red flags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's different things to look at. And we discussed in another episode in detail what to, to consider, but you know, you can also talk to friends and family and acquaintances too, is what, um, where they go and what they like or don't like. But keep in mind that what they like and don't like might not be what you like and don't like. So just because they think their vet is good, it might still not be the right vet for you and your animal. Exactly. Yeah. In the beginning, it could take a little bit of trial and error. This is where you can find out what the different costs are and that and how they charge for things. So this could take a little bit of time to be able to find just the right clinic for you. Yeah. And this is where Google might be a good thing. If you are checking for unsolicited reviews, Mm -hmm. people who just want to rave about a place, I would not check the reviews on that particular vet's website because you don't know You don't know. I mean, people pay for reviews all the time, but if you find a way, whether it's Yelp or whatever, just a random Google review and just get unsolicited views, holy crap, (laughs) unsolicited reviews, then you can at least have a little bit more of tools in your belt to choose the right vet. And maybe you won't have to check like three or four or five different vets. You might be able to use the reviews, the unsolicited views. I'm going to say that keep saying it over and over again because you can't trust all reviews. So that's where Google may come in handy. Mm -hmm. We just want to reiterate again about why vets cannot diagnose, prescribe, or make give you any advice over the phone. Well, they can give certain kinds of advice depending on what exactly it is, but in most cases, they can't. This also includes vet techs and animal health techs. They're not allowed to give any diagnosis, whether they're in clinic or not. It's completely illegal for them to do that. You might think that if you phone your vet and you say, oh, this is going on and this is what it looks like and and all this type of thing, that your vet's going to be able to go, oh yeah, that's what this is. This is what you need to do. (laughs) That doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) No. It does not work like that. (laughs) If it's something physical that is on the outside, they need to actually see what it is because there are many things that can look similar to each other. Mm -hmm. If it's something that is internal, like, okay, let's say the symptoms for diabetes, you know, there could be frequent urination, frequent drinking, there could be maybe lethargy or something like that. Basically common symptoms of diabetes. A vet is not going to hear those symptoms and say, oh yeah, your animal definitely has diabetes. No, because excessive drinking can also mean kidney failure. Right. They need to actually be able to physically see your animal so they can, at the very least, do a physical examination on them so that they can check what their their heart is doing, what their eyes and their mouth and all this kind of stuff looks like to give them a more broader picture of what is going on. They may need to do some blood work. They may need to do some other kinds of tests, uh, your analysis test or something like that to properly diagnose. If they make a diagnosis over the phone, it could be the wrong diagnosis and they could give the wrong 
treatment. And as we said earlier, with the wrong treatment, it could end up seriously harming your animal or even killing them. We want to stay Mm -hmm. away from that. What if the person who's calling the vet isn't giving them the whole story? Right. There could be something much bigger Mm -hmm. going on. The person on the phone may not be upfront with everything to avoid paying a lot of money. That would put the vet in a liable situation. By law, they have to avoid that. They don't want to have a lawsuit on Mm -hmm. their hands. They have to protect themselves. They have to protect their business. And they also have to protect the animal. And the truth is, even if you are telling all the information that you have, most of the time, your information is not going to be completely accurate and it's not going to be enough information. You don't know exactly what to look for, which where a vet does know what to look for. And there's a lot of things that you may have missed and not seen because you weren't aware that these were issues, which is why we've also talked about before having a health wellness journal. Oh, yes. (laughs) My favorite thing. Yay. Yes. Having a health wellness journal. You must have one. (laughs) I love it. It's going to be a place where on a regular basis, you record your different um, stats on your animal. You record their energy level. You record how they're eating and drinking. Has it increased or decreased? You record things about their stool, like the consistency of it, the frequency of it, the color of it, how much they're urinating or are they urinating in places other than their litter box? Weight fluctuations. Really important because weight fluctuations can definitely tell you something Mm -hmm. is off. And their eyes, how bright are their eyes? These are all different things that are good to have a consistent recording of because that will really help you and your vet to see if something has changed and how soon it's changed. So you'll be able to catch things a lot more quickly because animals are very good at hiding their health issues. It's just part of their, their natural instinct to do that. A sick animal in the wild is Mm -hmm. a dead animal. So they're not going to show that they're sick. So they're going to be as stoic as they can and hope that they get healthy before another animal figures out Mm -hmm. that they're not. (laughs) If you're not monitoring regularly, then by the time you notice that something is wrong, it could already be quite serious. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you should be going to your vet for on a regular basis? Well, you should be going for at least a yearly checkup, a physical exam. Oh yeah. At the very least. That's a must. That's Mm -hmm. a must. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to include vaccines. That's between you and your vet on whether you decide to do that. But it also should include spaying and neutering unless there's some health-related reason to not do it. That's really important. And I just want to go back a little bit when we were talking about don't let a vet do something without your permission. Don't let a vet vaccinate your animal without your permission. Mm -hmm. You have to have that open conversation to find out if it's good for your animal or not. Most animals can handle vaccinations, but there are some that Mm -hmm. can't. And you need to be the advocate for the animal to know when it's right. Mm -hmm. But spaying and neutering your animal is one of the most important things. And we talked about it in a previous episode. You have to, if your animal is healthy, you must get them spayed and neutered at an appropriate time. It's healthier for them. It's less stress for them. It's less stress for you. 
it helps with animal behavior. It's something that you need to do. And it really helps to control the pet population. You may not realize it, but there is a huge pet population issue. There are so many strays, so many unwanted animals who have not found homes. There are so many animals that are getting euthanized on a regular basis, not so much right now because of the pandemic, but outside of that situation, there is hundreds of thousands of animals that are getting euthanized because people are bringing in cats and kittens that have just been born instead of adopting animals that are waiting for a home. Yeah, It's just, it's selfish to continue allowing the pet population to grow. You're causing the animals to suffer by doing that. Yeah. If you don't have a lot of money, then you need to partner with an organization that can help you. There are many certificate programs out there that'll help you get low cost spay and neuter. Mm -hmm. You can adopt an animal. The older animals are already spayed and neutered. So adopting an animal instead of buying one or letting your animals have babies is always the best thing. Mm -hmm. It's really important. So I would 100% agree with Miranda. The things that your animal needs is spay, neuter, and regular checkups. A regular checkup can tell you so much and it can keep your cat and dog healthier for longer, even any of the other pets. If you have a lizard or a snake, find your exotic vet, Mm -hmm. get them regular checkups. Mm -hmm. They need to be monitored so we know when something's off. All right. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I'm feisty. You I'm are. Feisty. You're very feisty. <laughs> I know. Can you tell I really believe in this stuff? Uh, um, all right. So before we, we close, what are the things that we can do? What are some of those ways that we can help manage the costs of veterinary care so we can make sure our animals are healthy? Well, one of the easiest ways is to budget for it. Create a savings account that is exclusively for your animals. Have an automatic withdrawal come out of your checking account once or twice a month for a certain amount, even if it's only $25. You know, whatever you can manage to put in but just have that automatic amount come out of your account every month to go into that special account for your animals. At the very least, it gives you something. If you have an unexpected event happen or emergency that happens, at least you have something to put towards it. Even if you're not able to put the full amount, if you've got that relationship established with your vet and they know you and you've been with them for a while, they're more likely going to agree to a payment program. You know, maybe you might be able to pay $100 a month or something, depending. Uh, I don't know exactly how their programs work, and probably each clinic is different. But that's probably the easiest way to, to manage the costs. Another way is to look into pet health insurance. The pet health insurance can help to, to mitigate those expenses. They may end up covering almost all of the expenses depending on what situation is. The last one that we'll go into is comparing the costs at different clinics. We talked about this a little bit. If grocery stores are willing to do price comparisons, 
then your vet clinics should be willing to be open about their costs too. If they're trying to hide it, then yeah, that's, that's definitely an issue. Yeah. And who knows, maybe you can go to one clinic that's 30 minutes away and say, well, they're, they said they do it for this amount of money and you're really close and I would probably use you more off. Would you be able to match Mm -hmm. the price? I mean, Mm -hmm. right. They can only say (laughs) no, right. (laughs) Hey, you got to try everything to mitigate those costs because those costs. You're creative today. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm very creative today. I've had no caffeine today. So that's probably why my brain's not working. But there's lots of ways that you can Mm -hmm. mitigate the costs. I can tell you one of the things that I've done, and maybe this is something that you could use. I know in the States, we have something called care credit. It tends to be mainly for medical and dental expenses. We use our care credit card for vets. We don't use it for anything else. It's just a vet. So if we don't have the money readily available to pay out of pocket, we put it on the care credit and they'll give you like deferred interest for like six to 12 to 18 months. And then you can make payments on the care credit. So the vet gets all of their money, but you Mm. don't have to take it all out of your pocket. It's like another credit card and it can be high interest if you can't pay it off in whatever plan that you choose, but it has helped us. We still have thousands of dollars on our care Mm -hmm. credit because we've had a lot of really sick animals, but it has helped a lot. Yeah. And of course it's going to depend on what country, what's state, what province and all that that you live in, because what's available is going to to vary on those factors. Yeah. But there are definitely a lot of options out there. Also with um, comparing costs, if you're willing to travel to a smaller town, then they're likely going to have lower costs than a city vet. Exactly. So yeah. Your animal's worth it. Take a little bit of a drive if you have to. Even if you only have to do it once a year, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to compare. It's like, okay, what are you paying in gas to get to that place compared to what are you paying in extra cost to go to a closer clinic? So that's another thing to consider as well. When I drive 45 minutes. The idea that I can trust my vet and have an open communication with my vet weighs heavier than the cost of gas and the cost of the vet. I want to know that I can trust my vet with everything. And I know that if I have to drop off my animal for a surgery or they have to stay overnight, they're well taken care of. That to me is priceless. Mm -hmm. So I will spend the money and the gas just so I can have that trust. That matters more to me. Everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. But before we end, I'm just going to stress, it is about what's best for your animal, not your pocketbook. Your animal comes first. Don't have an animal if you don't intend on giving them good veterinary care. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much you love animals. I know that's harsh, but it's so important to have a doctor for your animal Mm -hmm. that if you can't afford it, then you shouldn't be having a pet. Mm -hmm. That's my personal opinion. It's a soapbox that I stand on a lot, as you can tell, because I've been feisty today. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think it's the most important thing. That's how you are accountable to your animal. Mm -hmm. Any last minute things that you want to talk about before we close for today? 
Uh, just, just jump onto your soapbox just a little bit, but <laughs> uh, <Yes! laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're bringing an animal into your home, just really think about why are you bringing this animal into your home? Is it because you want to have something soft and cuddly and comforting around you? Is that the only reason why you're bringing them into your home? Or are you bringing them into your home because you truly want to give a home to this other creature, this other animal that would otherwise maybe not be able to get the care that they need? Maybe they'd be out on the street or maybe they would not even be living. What is the real reason? It's pointless and it's unfair to choose to bring an animal into your home if you're making it all about you. I totally agree. Animals are not toys. They are not entertainment for us. They are sentient souls that you want to share your life with for their whole life. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, I think that's good. <laughs> I think we've, we've pretty much, we stood on a lot of soapboxes. <laughs> well, I have. We've been a little feisty. <laughs> but I think that's, the, the overview of this whole show is to make sure that you're doing things for the animal and not doing things for what's convenient for you. If you just want something cuddly and soft, get a stuffed animal. Right. They're cheap to look after. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sticking with us. I know this has been uh, an interesting little show we've given you today with our feistiness and our soapboxes. And I really hope that you take these things into consideration for your animal because your animal is important and they need you to look after them in the best way. A vet is the best way you can care for your animal. Thank you so much for putting up with us. And we do have a lot of opinions. Yeah. And don't forget to come join our Animal Files community on Facebook because we'd love to have you there and have you engage with us, ask your questions, share your stories and experiences of your animals and get some freebies and resources and stuff. Yes. So we'll see you on Facebook. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.